Hello and welcome to the Big Footy Blast from the Past, where we speak to the, the former greats of the game. Uh, our first guest tonight was taken at pick number 21 in the 1994 pre-season draft by the Adelaide Crows. He played 321 games and kicked 192 goals. Tyson Edwards, welcome to the show. No, no problem. Thanks for having me. Oh, I really appreciate your time. Well, uh, we'll start way back at the, at the beginning. Um, obviously, football was a massive, massive part of your life, but was it always a passion for you growing up? Uh, yeah, all all sports, uh, pretty much. I'm from a small country town, so uh, if you didn't play sport in the in the country where I was from, then you you really didn't fit in that well. So, and it suited me because I, I love sport anyway, and our family was uh, very sporty. So, yeah, played footy. Uh, I had two older brothers. Basically, I pretty much copied anything they did. So, footy was a big part of it. Played some basketball and tennis. Um, I didn't go down the cricket path. Um, other two brothers played a little bit of cricket, but. I was more interested in the tennis and, and love that. So, yeah, a few different sports, but, um, yeah, footy was, was certainly number one uh, in the end. But, um, yeah, it, it, there was a tennis was, was close there for a while, but I think I just enjoyed the team sport more. How, how high up did you end up going in the tennis part of it? Was there ever a moment where you might have thought of going down that path? Uh, there was. Um, I can't remember. It was probably 12 or 13, I think, when uh, we used to get a tennis coach come from from Adelaide down to where we were at, at Wanaka and, and uh, do a, you know, a week's long training with, with the kids there. And he used to stay with us. We used to organise it. And uh, he, he was pushing me to uh, travel uh, to America for a, um, a bit of a tennis uh, trip that um, he thought I, I should take part in. But um, I was a pretty shy kid and, and uh, I didn't really like the idea of, um, you know, I hadn't been to Adelaide, you know, that often, to be perfectly honest. And the thought of travelling overseas to America, um, you know, was was too scary for me. So I, I, I probably wish my parents pushed me to do it, but um, they you now they let me make my own decision. I decided not to, and pretty much from then on, you know, the coach said, "Look, you have got to make a decision what you want to do now, uh, either it's tennis or, or footy." And uh, I thought, okay, well, well, footy, footy is it then, because I'm not prepared to uh, make the jump to tennis. So. Um, not really is the answer, the long-winded answer to that. But um, you know, if I if I stuck at it a bit longer, then then maybe something might have eventuated. But uh, no, I'm certainly glad I chose the football path. I'm sure the Crows fans are all very glad as well. And um, prior to the pre-season draft, did you have much contact from any other clubs or was it mainly Adelaide that showed the main interest? Uh, yeah, it was a little bit different back in those days. Like, there was no draft on TV or uh, it wasn't televised or on the radio or obviously there was no social media then. So it was a totally different uh, setup. And I, I basically did... Uh, along with three or four other um, SNFL players, did the whole preseason with the Crows, and uh, the, and then there was what was called a February draft. Then, so um, it, it is a lot different to what it is now. So that the February draft is what is basically now the preseason draft that they have um, before Christmas. So uh, that was um, yeah. So we did the preseason there. Hopefully, you're impressed enough that uh, you know the Crows would would pick you up or select you. Had a couple of other clubs call from uh, North Melbourne called and, and Collingwood showed a bit of interest, but uh, yeah, no, the Crows were the were the main ones, and and there wasn't the resources available for clubs to really search much outside their own states then, so there wasn't a lot of recruiters you know travelling interstate and doing all those sorts of things which they do now, so it made it a bit easier for the Crows to uh, to select some some homegrown players, and myself and Peter Vardy were the ones that were lucky to get picked up. And I suppose that probably makes for an easier transition going into AFL life if you've already done a few trials with them as well, I guess. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, as I said, I was a really shy kid and, and basically didn't really speak it for the first 12 months when I was at the Crows. And 
it was certainly easier for me uh, staying at, you know, at home, although I had to move down to the city, which I'd, I'd, I'd done 12 months earlier, uh, to, to leave home and, and find a job. And, you know, those days we were working during the day and training at night. So it was it was a totally different, uh, uh, I guess, um, uh, style or, or regime or whatever you want to call it back then. So, uh, yeah, no, it was much easier for me. I, to be honest, I, I'm not sure I would have would have even accepted an offer to go into state anyway because I was just, just too shy and, and um, a bit scared about making that big jump. But no, happy that certainly happy that we stayed stayed in Adelaide and that uh, the Crows were, were uh, Crows selected me. And were you a Crow supporter growing up? Um, not really, to be honest. I was. I mean, I did follow them, but I, I was a massive Glenelg barracker in in the SNFL and and loved Stephen Kernahan. So I, I pretty much followed him when he went to Carlton, and I, I was basically a Carlton supporter. So barracked for them and had Sticks Kernahan on on my duffel coat number four, and I really followed him. But I did take an interest, obviously, in the Crows when they were coming through. But to be perfectly honest, it was probably more a, a Carlton barracker because of Kern, Stephen Kernahan than, than Crows, but. Um, yeah, that certainly quickly changes. <laughs> and you, uh, you made your debut in round 11 in 1995 versus Footscray. Uh, when were you told during the week that you were going to be selected for your first game? Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it wasn't told early in the week or anything. Probably the Wednesday or Thursday before the game. And, um, yeah, I knew sort of I was getting close to getting selected. I was playing some reasonable football in the SNFL the Crows senior team wasn't going that flash, uh, and you know an opportunity came up, and and uh, yeah, I, I was um, yeah pretty fortunate to, to get get a get an opportunity, and and uh, I was very nervous, um, but yeah, absolutely loved it. I knew as soon as I, I played that first game and ran out, and that um, I wanted more of it. Um, it was certainly um, something that I wanted to be part of a lot more. So it gave me a bit of a hunger to to try and stick at it a bit longer. Were the nerves like calm down? I suppose once you got that first disposal, was that like really getting the monkey off the back? Oh, a little bit, a little bit, but it was it was more because um, I've never played in front of a, a crowd that big. Uh, you know, it was a night game, so the atmosphere is just a little bit different during a night game than it is during the day. Uh, and I probably, I'm not even sure how many night games I would have played coming to that. So it was all it was all a bit different. The crowd was so loud, and it was uh, sort of quite difficult to concentrate. But uh, you know, it did take it quite a while for the nerves to calm down and. I even had to uh, run off the ground quite quickly at half time because um, toilet was needed and uh, there was nearly an accident uh, on the ground because of the nerves. But uh, no, I did, did settle down. Probably after half time, I settled down and, and got, got in the swing of things and yeah, lucky enough to win that one and, and yeah, stayed in there for the rest of the year, which was good. Speaking of big crowds, 1997 was a massive season for the club winning its first premiership. Now, you played the first qualifying final but were dropped for the semi final clash. How hard did that hit you? Yeah, look, I was in and out of the side, uh, although I played probably, I can't, guessing here, probably 16 games, 15, 16 games in the, in the AFL that year. I was still in and out of the side a little bit and hadn't cemented my position. I was pretty inconsistent in my first two or three years. And, uh, although I was, I was really disappointed looking back, you know, that, that's, um, you know, that, that's the way it goes. There's, um, you know, uh, I wasn't playing super footy in, in those days, but I was playing a lot on the bench. So you could sit on the interchange for, three and a half quarters and, and get, you know, 10 minutes at the end of the game and, you know, get almost guaranteed of getting dropped the next week. So that, that was, it was just different back then. So, uh, yeah, no, really disappointed and uh, watching the, the next week and we have a win and thinking, oh, I've just lost opportunity to play more finals. But then there was a couple of injuries and then you get your opportunity. And I do remember Sean Wren saying to me after that, that, you know, make sure you, 
after I, I was dropped that first week. Just make sure you're ready because you never know what can happen. I, I still remember where we were running around the oval when he said it, and I, I sort of thought, yeah, yeah, sure. But surely enough, it happened. You know, there was an injury, and, and I came in and, and um, was lucky enough to be part of the Premiership team. And when were you told that you were back in the mix of selection? Oh, not until late the next week, really. Uh, I knew there was a, a bit of a chance because of the, the couple of injuries we had. So I thought I was in the week before. You know, there's a couple of injuries. I'm, I'm a silly chance. So it's a matter of just trying to, you know, impress enough on the track, look after yourself and, and do the right things. And, and hopefully you get that call up, which happened. So, yeah, no, it was, it was, it was only, you know, later in the week, the first day or something when the teams came out. But, uh, you know, certainly... I was very excited when I got that call. And the Crows, you obviously won the prelim and advanced to the grand final. As a young player, what was that week like for you with the build-up to the big game? Yeah, it was, uh, I don't know, it's, it's hard to take it all in. Uh, particularly as a young player, I was you know, 21, I think, when we won our first premiership. So it's it's quite surreal. Uh, it was probably easy for us that we had Malcolm Blight coaching because he'd been through it so many times before. So... He was quite casual about it, uh, you know. Even even during the final series, you know, we're we're down to eight. It's next week, we hope we get another invite from the AFL to come back and play again, which we did. And, and we get to the meeting on the Monday, and you never never guess what boys the AFL invited us back again. So we're going again, and uh, he made it quite you know quite uh, relaxed, uh, even though you're still you're still bubbling along the inside quite a lot, and particularly as a, as a young player. But you know, he, he gave us that confidence that. Um, just go out and play. He didn't put a lot of pressure on us at all, and um, yeah, we played a style of game that uh, we all enjoyed and and uh, we're all on board with. So no, it was it was there was huge crowds at training, and uh, you know there was it was certainly a, a different atmosphere at training for that week. So you knew there was, there was obviously something special happening, but uh, yeah, it's quite surreal. You sort of forget lots of it because you're just uh, you're, you're just sort of floating along. To be perfectly honest. And how confident were you in the group um, of winning that game? Because a lot of people really didn't give you much of a chance. Yeah, no, we, we were quietly confident. Uh, we, we trained uh, back in those days. We used to train about a month out from the finals, uh, have a really solid block of training. So there'd be about four weeks where we were smashed on the track. And uh, we knew if we made the finals that we fitness-wise would be in a really good position as long as we were healthy and, and playing some good football. So uh, that, that we saw that as our advantage, and we, we talked about that a lot because uh, we didn't think a lot of other teams were doing it and we were one of the hardest training teams that so we thought we were the fittest. So, uh, And we were playing good football at the right time and that, that's purely what it was. We probably weren't the best team during the season but come finals time, we, we were the group that was playing the, the best football. So, uh, you know, it, it, all, it all happened. It all sort of worked out really well. We were feeling good, didn't have a heap of injuries and playing good footy and it just uh, it all came together. And you had front row tickets to the Darren Jarman show. How good was his last quarter that day? Oh, gee whiz. I, I still watch it now sometimes when uh, when it comes on TV on Fox or something and or, you know, when someone's got it on somewhere or other. And uh, it's just amazing what he what he was able to do. It was just like a, a streak that uh, it was almost... He was almost watching himself do it. He was just floating around and the ball fell in his hands and he made good position, took a couple of good marks, but... Uh, I was just that 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 was Darren Jarman. He's he's probably you know people ask me who do you who do you admire who do you like watching and who do you most like playing against all those sorts of things. And Darren, although he probably wasn't the most consistent player, that that last quarter that he put on is is why you you come to the football and watch those sort of players because I just it was just amazing. There's no one else could do it, uh, and we basically just got the ball in there and, and he did the rest. So uh, if you didn't have him. Um, 
then I'm, I'm almost certain we would have won that game. So, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was, I used to love just watching him train, to be perfectly honest. It was such, such a smooth move. I remember when he first came to the club and I couldn't believe that I was running alongside Darren Jarman and he could do things on the training track that you'd never seen before. So, um, yeah, no, he was, he's certainly an, a nice player to watch. When he's playing that well in the last quarter, does the, the actual game plan go out the window and just change to just get it to him and he'll just do what he has to do? Yeah, well, a little bit. I mean, um, it, it's it's pretty much... I mean, we had mods, Tony Modra leading in and, and also more so in leading the finals and, and, and Tony got injured, obviously, which was shattering for, for mods. But that was, uh, you know, almost the same. And we used to kick it in the air to mods and he'd do the rest. And Darren was just kick it out in front of him and he'll do the rest because uh, he's, he's just so smart he knows how to get off his player uh, within a short uh, short space and uh, if he gets a shot on goal he, he hardly ever misses so yeah it was a little bit like that just getting in there and, and do the breath we had some others chipping in as well you know it wasn't just Darren although that last quarter was all about him there was others um, doing their bit as well but no he was very special to watch and heading into the 1998 season, was there ever any talk of winning back-to-back flags, or was it literally just one week at a time? No, look, it is it is like that. Like as as, as um, annoying as it sounds to people, it's it's more so. And and clubs still talk about it now. You just want to win enough uh, games to get in the finals. And then as the year's progressing, if if you're doing well enough and you you know you're, you're winning more, then then you start aiming for top four. And that if that's you know it looks like you've got that ticked off. Then you start aiming for a top two, but you don't. It's it's more about just trying to get into the finals, and we know uh, we knew from the year before if we could just get in there, anything can happen. And uh, yeah, that's and to be honest, that's that's all we really concentrated on. That was never ever let's go back to back until you know you're in the you're in the grand final. Then then you really start talking about it. But yeah, it's it's more it's pretty boring, but um, that's what works. So that's what that's what that's what most clubs do. So you, you guys finished fifth that year. Did you adopt the same approach that you spoke about before with the heavy training loads heading into that final series again as well? Given how well it worked in '97. Yeah, certainly did. Absolutely, we, we certainly struck stuck with the same structure. You know, I'm, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we lost to Melbourne in that first. Was it the first final there we lost, or was that the year before? Can't um, can't quite remember. It was one of the might have been the second year we lost and it was a different system then and we were able to get the the second chance and uh we blighty was absolutely ropeable after that uh, that first final and i don't think a club would have ever trained as hard as what we did in that, that final series because he was so angry that the way we played and he said we're not going out losing the way we did and not being uh competitive so we did a lot of competitive work on the track for those next three weeks and uh don't know how we all got through to be perfectly honest because we, we got smashed but um you know he, he knew what he was doing he knew how to prepare a group and and uh, it worked out again for us and was the build-up week to the grand final any different in 98 compared to 97 oh only different because you the guys that have been through it uh, uh had a bit of an understanding of what it was like and it, it was a bit different because we had uh mark rusciuto didn't play the year before peter vardy didn't play the year before so we and I think there might have been one more, we, and we we really wanted to do it for them because they were such a big part of the team the year before. And there was other players as well. Matthew Lipsack got injured, obviously Tony Modra uh, got injured, and and these other guys that are such a big part of it because it it's more than just the eighteen or twenty one it was back in those days on the ground that they get you there. And uh, you know we really wanted to do it for them. So in in some ways, yes, it was a bit different, but. Uh, is more that we sort of had a bit of an idea of what to expect and, and what was coming next. So, But still, there was still that hunger there, obviously, to, to go out and get the job done. Uh, winning one premiership is hard enough, let alone two. 
It's a tough question, but does one mean more than the other in any kind of way? Oh, look, probably. I mean, the first one stands out because it's the first one, first one for the club and first one for South Australia. So that definitely stood out. And, and uh, we, we we were, as players, talking after the game. We were hearing all these stories about what was happening in Adelaide. Uh, you know, the people in the streets and, you know, there were street parties going on and people just going crazy back here. And we really wanted to come back and be a part of that. But we uh, we had you know that there's always a function after the game that, that that you go to and you know we couldn't get back for it but we had plenty of fun afterwards don't worry we didn't miss out but um, yeah it was it was definitely that first one because it was just the first one uh, the second one was pleasing I guess in a different sense because no one gave us a chance again you know to do it so uh, we came back and proved them wrong that you know we were able to do it yeah you get a bit of luck with North Melbourne not kicking straight but uh, you you got to take your chances when that came and that's what we did in that second half. Surely after that first one, you can all get a free drink in whatever pub you walk into in Adelaide. <laughs> oh, we certainly got looked after, don't worry, in, the, in that uh, that first week afterwards. It's uh, it's a bit of a blur for more reasons than one that every day just rolls into the next. But uh, no, no, it was, we, we really got looked after and, and had some good fun, and, and so you should. And, and uh, you know, there's some very enjoyable times afterwards as well, uh, and some stories come out of that that uh, probably can't be told on here, but... Uh, no, it's um, no, it's good to be good to get together. Obviously, after after a successful year, and and uh, you know, get the whole group together. And probably the most enjoyable times were when it was just the players and the staff and the people that have been involved. Not to say we don't, you know, didn't appreciate everyone else's support, but everyone in that room then knows what went into getting that uh, getting that result. So that that was probably the most pleasing, um, you know, part of it afterwards. But uh, yeah, no, it doesn't come along often, so you got to make the most of it. And despite all the early success in your career, you've been on record as saying that you didn't cope very well with having a bad game. You'd, you'd often dwell on it. How much did this affect you? Oh, it affected me a lot in my first, probably the first three, four, five years. I, um, yeah, I, I went way too hard on myself as far as uh, you know thinking about that game for the next. It would affect me for the next two or three games, and then that's why I was so inconsistent in those first two, three, um, four years because I used to dwell on it. Um, you know, think about it, worry about it, and then that would affect my next performance. And before you know it, I've had two, three bad games, and then you're out of the team and back to the SNFL. So I really had to, you know, obviously still review a game honestly, but then just move on and and you know find a couple of things to work on and work on them during the track. And also the other thing I I worked out is you actually need to be when you've played well or done something well, you've got to give yourself a pat on the pat on the back as well. You don't have to be you know big head about it or be stupid about it, but just internally go, you know what, that was actually a good session, or those first three quarters were were brilliant. That's the way we want to play. Last quarter not quite so much. We know what we need to do. Let's let's get out there and go again. So it was it was a couple of things that um, you know find find a couple of things to work on, and then actually enjoy your success. You know if you play well, well you know internally you can enjoy it. So. And, you know, once I found that better balance, I, I, you know, my performance started to improve as well. So, yeah, but it did, it certainly did affect me and, and it, it sort of helped me in my coaching when I, when I coached kids and, and went and coached for a few years in the AFL. So as an assistant coach, that certainly helped me when, when talking to other, other players when they were going through those sort of patches. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard because we're, everyone wants to be successful and play as well as they can and pretty hard on themselves, but you've got to have that balance. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's a great lesson for everyone, I think. Just um, don't be you know, too hard on yourself. Um, yeah. You played your 300th game against Essendon in round 11, 2009. How proud were you to reach that 300-game milestone? 
Yeah, look, it's it's one of the, the things you you don't really ever think about until you start to get close, and then you think, gee, was this this might be a, a chance uh, because you obviously you're playing that long, you're, you're getting towards the end of your career. But I honestly thought I was playing my best footy in, in my last sort of four or five years, uh, and um, yeah, no, it was it was a really proud moment, more so for your family and friends and coaches and all those people that have helped you get there. That's that's you know any milestone game. That's how I approached it. That. I wanted to play as well as I could because there's probably a little bit more emphasis on it and probably a few more people that have had some sort of engagement with you over the journey that will be watching. So try and put on a good show for them so that, you know, they've got some a bit of pride, etc. Um, so that, that's how I approached it. And, yeah, look, it's 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 a lot of games. I mean, at the time, you don't sort of think about it too much. You, you, you're still focused on winning and playing well and doing those things. But once you're finished and you look back and say, you know, you played... 300 games it's it's not an easy thing to do and and um you know something to be proud of so uh you know there's lots of guys that you know don't get an opportunity full stop or injuries stop their career and all those sorts of things so i was, I was really fortunate i was able to play for as long as i did you definitely turned it on on that day you've got 41 disposals 10 tackles and nine clearances i mean that's that's rising to the occasion that's uh it's a pretty special game yeah, yeah. I mean, I did for any of those sort of games or bigger games. I I did try and set myself uh, for that about about three four weeks out. Um, I don't know how it come about. I just it just sort of happened for me. I if there was a you know a big game coming up like a showdown or a, or a final not far away, or you just weren't playing quite as well as what you wanted to. I definitely set myself that okay, let's let's really lock in for the next three weeks and see if we can turn this around. So. Yeah, and and I did I did want to play as well as I could. Obviously, didn't expect to to perhaps play that well, but once again, I just really because we had lots of family come over to Melbourne to to watch and friends, and I really wanted to play as well as I could for them. So they sitting in the stands and having a good time and enjoying watching what was going on, and we we were winning as well. So it was um, no, it was a it was a really good day. So um, yeah, no, it worked out well. And you announced your retirement in May 2010, effective immediately uh, after being dropped from the Crow side. But it wasn't yep. until about mid-2011 when you actually opened up about the, the real reason on the retirement, the, the battle with testicular cancer. How yep. difficult was that final year for you managing your football workload um, while going through such a, a heavy personal sort of battle as well? Yeah, no, it was it was difficult, isn't it, about that. Um, yeah, that obviously getting diagnosed with cancer is, is a big shock and, and I probably didn't realise um, mentally how much that would take out of me. Uh, you know, and... My wife left it up, left me the uh, the option of, of playing or not. I think deep down she did. She wanted me to stop playing and not play out that last year. But I'd signed a contract. I was committed to the club. I thought I could do it. Uh, and you know, I, I think if I managed myself a bit better, I perhaps could have got through the whole year playing some reasonable footy. But I was a little bit silly in the fact that I mean, I, I didn't have any treatment, so to speak. Uh, I had the operation to remove um, the. Um, uh, remove the, the the testicle and then uh, you know I, I decided not to have treatment which my doctor eventually agreed with and and I just um, I started training about a week later after I had the operation which was which was really silly but you know in, the, in hindsight you know hindsight's a wonderful thing if I had my time again yeah I would change things and I probably the hardest thing was trying to keep it from everyone the only the only reason we did that was because I want we wanted to protect the kids we we didn't tell our children. Uh, until we knew I was I was really on the mend and everything was going to be okay, we um, we decided to uh, we to keep it to keep it to ourselves and just tell you know a handful of people really. So yeah, it was difficult, uh, but you know I, I learned a fair bit throughout that. To be perfectly honest, probably one of the 
the biggest lessons going through that is don't judge people um, by the way they're at because there's probably something going on in their lives that you don't know about and until you're actually in that position you don't know how you're going to react so that that was a real good learning curve for me because um, a lot of people question why I kept it from everyone Uh, some people understood some people didn't but you know there's a reason for it and and people make decisions based on on their situation so yeah it was was really difficult and and um, yeah it wasn't wasn't the most enjoyable time but you know everyone's got something going on you know and there's there's been some more stories since with Robbie Gray the most recent one with with his battle as well so everyone's got stuff going on and um you know we all deal with it a little bit differently and i mean sort of that not not aside but did you ever feel like you still had a lot more footy to give despite everything you were going through was that kind of frustrating at any time yeah it was a bit i mean i i'd just come off before this diagnosis the the pre-season before i just had my best pre-season uh running times were the best i've ever done i actually felt the best i'd ever felt at, at afl level and I thought I still had another year or two to go at least, and and then this this happened, and it, and it did really rock me a bit. And but um, you know I'm, I'm not complaining at all. I played 16 years, so I can't complain about that at all. But um, yeah, it, it was a little bit frustrating in a sense. But you know I, I I was stupid in the same sense by trying to continue to play after not recovering for long enough. So um, but uh, yeah, no, it's a good learning curve, and and. Um, yeah, it was. It was. I mean, everything happens for a reason, and you know, I learned some great things out of it. And you obviously caught it very early on, which is fantastic. Is there any advice you can give to other men out there on what warning signs to look out for, checks to go and have to to help identify any issues early on? Yeah, I think it's um, it's pretty pretty the same with anything really. If you notice any change anywhere really in in your body that you think is a little bit abnormal, and men are pretty hopeless in getting things checked out uh it, it's like go to the doctor get it checked out if it's cool you go away happy again you don't have to worry about it so uh and you know in my scenario that's that's what happened we, we've noticed a change we got it checked out straight away got onto it and you know everything's fine and been fine since so you know it's not just with my what i had with testicular cancers with any anything in your body if you noticed a change somewhere or something's not normal just go and get it checked out like it takes takes half an hour half an hour out of your day to, to either get the ticket of approval or if you get it early enough most things you can get through um so that's probably the the lesson from it all yeah very good advice uh, you joined port adelaide football club as an assistant coach from 2012 to 2015 what was that like stepping into the coaching side of things after playing for so long yeah it was, it was brilliant actually I, I part of the attraction going to port was at the time they were really struggling on on the or on 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 and off the field to be perfectly honest there was um, a real battle there with Winning games of footy um, and you know, getting crowds to the games and financially not looking great either. So that was part of the appeal, and I, I wasn't ever sure if I wanted to be a um, a long term coach. So the opportunity came up. The attraction to be try and be a part of a, a rebuild of a club was was appealing to me. So I thought, yeah, let's let's go for it. No, I absolutely loved my time there. Um, walking for the first day was a little bit weird because I only played against a lot of these guys a year before. Um, so that was strange, but. Very quickly, you become entrenched in the group, and uh, you know wanted nothing more than for them to beat the Crows every single time we played them and and smash them. So, uh, you know, once you build some relationships and and started working with these guys, you only want the best for them. And I still, you know, know obviously work with quite a lot that are still playing and, and want the best for them. And you you learn that all clubs are pretty similar. They've got great people involved that do a lot of work and and great players and. Um, yeah, we, we all go about it pretty similarly, but it was great. It was great for my coaching work alongside Ken Hinckley and 
and Matty Nix and Michael Voss and Joshy Carr and Sean Wren and all these sort of people that um, Gary Hocking that you know you learn quite a lot off and and um, yeah working with Ken certainly helped my coaching um, career that's for sure. And did you find it easier to relate to the players while coaching given you hadn't been out of the game for very long? Yeah you certainly do you um, I think the longer you're a coach the easier I think it is to play and I think just coming out of the game I understood that you know you're watching watching some vision back with a player and you know, sitting there, why'd you do that? Well, you know, sometimes you don't know why why you do things, and it's not as easy as what it might look from our uh, our virgin lounge, so to speak. So, um, yeah, no, I did. It's it's a bit easier to connect with the player, and I guess you got that trust from them uh, pretty pretty early on as well, because they know you've you've just been through it. You, you you know what you know what it takes, and you know that it's not easy. So, uh, uh, you know, and I, you know, sometimes I get quite frustrated going to the footy and. And sitting in the crowd and listening to the, the crowd um, get stuck into their players when you know there's no not a player out there aims to make a mistake they're not trying to do it so it's just not as easy as it looks so um, yeah that that that's certainly something that I I took into my coaching that's for sure. And what were some of the bigger challenges of coaching at AFL level? Oh, just probably the probably the biggest one is game day. That um, going into coaching, I thought you you could have a real effect on the game or you know a certain player or whatever it might be, but as coaches, you don't you don't have a lot of control. Uh, you know, we don't get the timeouts like basketball. We'll sit there and set up another play. You know, we there is there is times where you can change things and, and it comes off. But during a during a play, when you know your team's lost momentum, trying to get that back as a coach is quite frustrating. And you know, if things aren't happening the way you want them to, or players aren't going to where they're meant to be. Uh, that, that's the frustrating part that you can't just go out there and, and help them do it. You're trying to sit there and, and work out a way to communicate it. So that's probably the most frustrating thing for sure. And what was the biggest change in the game that you noticed from the time you retired to the time you finished coaching at Port? Uh, probably the defensive side of the game. Uh, that's just the, the pressure on the players to make decisions changed a lot in, in just those four or five years. Uh, you know, the skills... Um, definitely improved although people question that a lot I, I never doubt that because the pressure on players to make decisions there's just no time I mean if you go back and watch some of you're talking about the 97 98 years you go back and watch that compare it to football now it's just so much more time the players have to make decisions back in 97 98 compared to now so the the the, the training that the play, uh, teams do and the amount of work they put in just defence and team defence and just getting out the opposition, uh, that's the biggest change for me, for sure. I mean, obviously the speed has has increased, but that's because of the defensive stuff, I think. And are you still doing any form of coaching now? No, it's my first year um, that I haven't really done a lot. Or, um, second year, actually, coming into my second year. I coached the under-18s at Glenelg the year I finished at Port, but uh, myself and my wife are, are real estate agents in Adelaide now, and, and I was just finding that um, we didn't have enough time to actually spend some time with our kids so I've taken a step back from the, the, the footy now and, and just spending more time watching them and, and helping them a little bit if they want it so that's the reason for that and I, I, I miss it that's for sure but you, you, I, you can't fit everything in unfortunately that's, um, that's the way it goes. And it's Harris Real Estate you're working for now so um, how did that yep. all come about and how's it all been going? Yeah, no, it's been really good. I mean, myself and my wife have always had in, an involvement and an interest in, in real estate. We've, we've bought and sold and developed and built through in a block and subdivided and built from scratch and bought land, all that sort of stuff. So we've, we've had good experience in, in everything involved with the real estate. We just haven't, you know, we hadn't made that step to be real estate agents. So 
we we just we you know we tossed it up a little bit we we, we spoke to a few different agencies and and once we met phil and spoke to phil as in phil harris uh we knew that um that was the company we wanted to be with phil's um Feels uh, all about integrity and doing it the right way, and uh, making the the process as easy as possible for the vendors. and And he's he's huge on training and and being the best you can be, and providing the resources around you to be as good as you want to be. So we thought that was the best fit for us, and he's been a great mentor for us, and 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 really easy to uh, to get hold of to get some help or guidance or assistance. So. Uh, yeah, we, we just thought we could we could do a pretty good job, and it, it could fit into our lifestyle, and and we've always enjoyed the real estate side of things. So we it was sort of a natural step for us. Well, one of the, one of our listeners actually mentioned you. I think you sold their parents' house, and they said you're an absolute pleasure to work with. So okay, no, big, big marks there. That's a good start. Well, that's um, <laughs> that's what it's all about. You know, trying to do. I mean, that's what Mandy and I, and my wife, really want to do is 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 do a good job and. Just do it. Do it honestly. You don't have to. Um, you know, don't have to do it any other way than be honest and, and work as hard as you can. I mean, it's, there's no secret to sex, success. I don't think you just got to work hard at it and try and be as good as you can be. And if you're willing to willing to do that, then then everything will, will fall into place. So um, yeah, there's no real secret to it. It's just uh, putting in the hard work. But nice, to, nice to hear someone had a had a good experience anyway. Yeah, definitely some positive feedback. Um, but playing with the crows for as long as you did, do you still keep a close eye on them? Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm involved a little bit in match days now uh, at at home games, just uh, with the corporate sort of side of things. So I do a little bit with the with the crows there, and yeah, definitely. I mean, there's still some players there that I um, played with, so you, you always keep an eye on them. And you know, I'm a past player, so I go to some events now that I've got a bit more time, and and uh, definitely keep an eye. We went to the grand final last year, although that didn't work out that well. Uh, and you know, now my son's uh, he's, he's he was rookie there last year, so we've obviously got a, another connection back there again as well. So. Um, yeah, we certainly keep a, a close eye on them. Speaking of the grand final, that's a bit of a, a sore point. But what do you think? What what went wrong for the Crows on grand final day? Oh, I just think they got. To be honest, I think that a lot of players got overawed with the situation. Uh, apart from the fact that Richmond played a great game of footy, uh, you know, and even if the Crows played at their best, they might not have still beaten Richmond because I think they just played a super game. But I just think a lot of them. If you if you look at, I guess, give everyone a rating. There would have been probably 15 players that were well, well under their their par. So when that happens, I think you know something serious has, has happened there. That and I and, and my belief is I just it's got overawed with the situation and, and couldn't handle it. And and but but in saying that, Richmond, as I said, were were fantastic on the day. So uh, you know that adds another element to it as well. But yeah, no, it was it was um, you're not going to win a game of footy when you got only got five good players. So that was that was really the nuts and bolts of it for me. A couple of changes to the the list for the Crows this year. They've obviously signed Bryce Gibbs and lost Jake Lever. What are your expectations for the Crows for 2018? Oh, I think they'll be right around the mark again if they can stay healthy. There's no reason why they can't. Um, you know, Jake is is a loss, but you know he's. Um, I think they can cover him pretty well. They've got some suppliers there that can cover him, uh, and you know, and the type of game that he played, he wasn't a a lockdown tall defender. They've got Talia and Hardigan that can do that. He was more your drop-off, so I think you can find another player to replace him. Charlie Cameron's speed, um, you know, I think they can replace that as well. And you know, Charlie played some, some reasonable footy but was a bit inconsistent, uh, so I, I'm not worried about, you know, losing those two players so much. I think they've got a good enough group if they can stay healthy enough that they'll be around the mark again. If they they, they can stay hungry, hungry which I'm, I'm sure they would be after last year's result, that you know that they'll be back there again, but it's it's hard to get back there. You know, you got to you got to play some really good 
footy to get back there and have some luck. So it's not, not just as easy as, yeah, they'll be back there next year. They've, they've got to do everything right to, to get another chance. And before we let you go, just got a couple of questions from some listeners. Now, the first one was, who yep. was the best player you played with and played against? Um, played against Michael Voss. I used to always think Michael Voss was, was the best. And if anyone out there knows him or knew, remembers the way he played, when he was in his prime, he was... Um, for me, he was probably the best leader in the competition. He was the best player in the competition. He was the most physical in the competition, uh, and and skillful. You know, he could he could turn a game quickly. Had a long penetrating kick on both sides, and I just thought he had the he had the whole package when he was fit. And obviously, got some injuries towards the end of his career, but he was the one for me that um, you know he had a group of players that, that seemed to just follow him. And you know he had a good group around him, but he, he was he was a super leader. So he was, I mean, lots of different players that I've you know Gavin Wangley and played against and played on, and Robert Harvey, and and there's so many, um, so many great players. So it's hard to pick out one, but he's one that I I certainly pick out. And and I've mentioned him before. Darren Jarman's one for me um, that I just love playing with, watching. Uh, just because of the freakish things he could do. I mean, I've, there's others that I played with that were, were brilliant to play with and watch, and Tony Modger and Mark Rusciuto and Sean Wren and Benny Hart and all these guys that I'm so lucky to play with. But if you're going to make me pick one, um, Darren Jarman for just what he could do that others couldn't. It's a fair list you've got to pick from. Yeah, it's difficult. It, um, there's a lot of disappointed boys. i tell you what, if they were all in a room, they'd be dis- disappointed <laughs> players. But that's that's the beauty of you know, I was so lucky to play for so long that you get to play with these superstars. You know, I played with Rory Sloan and saw him come in for his first game and have a look at him now. He's just an absolute jet and uh, he's a jet of a guy as well, you know. So, um, so lucky to play with so many of these these great players and played against Gary Ablett and Tony Lockett. And, you know, so <laughs> Wayne, Wayne Carey was, um, he was on fire in, in, you know, my era as well and then ended up playing with him. So it's very hard to pick out one or two, but, uh, yeah. I've given a few there, I guess. <laughs> and uh, excluding the two grand finals and your three hundredth, what was your most memorable game? Oh, most memorable game. Um, I, I I probably can't give you one. I'll give you two or three. The, the prelim finals for me, I, I've always loved prelim finals, and I, I might might be a bit weird, and I'm not sure if anyone else is uh, on the same page as me. But the feeling I have coming to a prelim final is, I know if we if we get through this one, we're Anything can happen next week, and we could, you know, we could, we could. Obviously, if you win, you're there. So there's no more. Uh, we need to win one more to get in, or we, we've got three weeks to go, or whatever it is. It's, it's a build up to this prelim final. You win it, and then you're in the big one. So I used to love prelim finals, um, and you know, I used to so look forward to those games. And there's such a, a sort of almost a relief at the end of the game, but then very quickly you turn to now got a chance at winning the big one. So they were they were brilliant, um, and probably. Probably for lots of different reasons. My last game, um, for you know all the things that that happened um, leading into it, and, and and all that, that the whole thing put together was was um, was good. you know something I'll remember forever. And and my family were able to, and not everyone gets a last game and able to, to have that. So you know I'm really grateful that I've got that opportunity to once again play a game and thank everyone for for being a part of the journey. You know all the way along. And the last one before we let you go, it could be a bit uh, controversial making you pick uh, the most talented football in your family, but you mentioned before yeah. your son Jackson is now on the Crows list under the father-son rule. First of all, I suppose, how is he going? And second of all, which of your sons will be the best footballer? 
I <laughs> know um, oh, he's going really. He loves it. He's in, really enjoying it. He's um, getting through the workload really well, and he's he's really disciplined and diligent um, lad with with everything he does. So I know that uh, he'll uh, he'll make everything every every little minute count. And um, wherever his career ends up, you know, I obviously hope it's a really successful one. But I know he'll he won't walk away with any regrets because he's he'll, he'll tick every box. So um, you know, it's great that he's he's you know part of the Crows, and and, and I hope he. I really hope he gets um, gets an opportunity one day to to play an AFL game, and I'm, I'm sure he will if he, he keeps going the way he is. And um, I, I've, I've given up trying to pick who who I think would be the best, and it'd be unfair anyway. On the kids, <laughs> they all at different ages, they all start doing different things, and um, you know, uh, the youngest one thinks he's the best, tells everyone he's the best. Um, the middle one's pretty quiet and just goes about his business and. And um, yeah, Jackson's pretty similar. He just uh, lets his it lets his footy do the talking. So, oh, I, I, you know, whatever whatever they want to do, and they all say they want to um, to be an AFL player. We, we'll we'll support them in whatever they do, and whether it's that or it's a business or whatever it is, um, you know, that AFL footy is a great environment to be involved if, if you can get there. As I said earlier, lots of kids miss out and don't even get the opportunity. So if if they get it, they should make the most of it. Um, but you know, oh, Manny and I have been pretty big on the boys just being decent people to start with and if you're decent people um and good people then good things happen um wherever that ends up so that's that's been their main focus and um yeah but we're obviously wrapped with with whatever the path they choose but they all think they can get there so we'll see what happens i'm sure the crows fans will all be hoping for three father sons one day that would be their ultimate dream but i'm sure no doubt all your uh, boys will make the right choice and especially with the support and guidance from yourself so they're in very good hands yeah, let's hope so. Let's um, yeah, hopefully they just have having have an enjoyable life, work hard at whatever they do, and it'll it'll sort out, it'll uh, sort itself out in the end. All right, well, thank you so much for coming on, Tyson. Really appreciate giving up your time, and uh, all the best for everything that's going on in the future. Yeah, no problems at all. Thanks for thanks for the chat. No worries, thanks, mate.